What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the first and foremost sports podcast. This is episode 46. I am your host, Jimmy Covington. And I'm the one and only Quentin Douglas. What's going on, everybody? Man, Quentin, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, my guy. How about you, bro? I can't even complain, to be honest, which, you know, day off as usual, so I'm just relaxed. No doubt, no doubt. Well, you know, we took a break last week, but excited to be back this week. Uh, our brackets got busted up. A lot's been going on in sports, and we got some pretty good topics on deck today. Yes, sir. We got a nice solid docket for y'all, so we're going to go ahead and jump into it. First, on Monday night, uh, Baylor defeated Gonzaga by a score of 86-70. to 70. I think that's something that nobody really saw coming. So, Quinn, what are your thoughts on the national championship game? Yeah, man, like you said, for the most part, I really didn't see uh, Baylor at least winning that comfortably. Uh, I know at one point they were up by as many as 19, but you have to give credit where credit is due. But uh, you do have taken into consideration, I believe, Gonzaga going into that game. They were pretty, you know, uh, I guess you could say they were still feeling the effects of that final four matchup against UCLA, you had to think that took a lot out of them. Uh, and just from the opening tip, they looked out of sync. Uh, you know, they were disjointed. Baylor just looked like the more hungrier team. Um, and, you know, they could have been the first unbeaten champ in the NCAA uh, since 1976. But, unfortunately, you know, that didn't happen. But all season, you know, they've been the nation's best offense, you know, a historically great offense. But they were held to their season low, actually, uh, due to Baylor's defense. They just couldn't get clean looks. And then on the other end, Baylor made threes. Uh, they rebounded the ball well. And then they also forced Gonzaga in the turnovers, which was very uncharacteristic of them. Um, and, you know, Jalen Suggs ultimately had 22 points. But you can say, especially the first half, he had a pretty rough night. Corey Crispert, who was first-team All-American, he struggled. He only came away with 12 points. And then, of course, you know, Drew Timmy, I think he was playing a little hurt, but he also struggled as well, um, only having 12 points, which that was also due to the fact he didn't get that many shot attempts. But uh, Baylor played pressure defense uh, on them all night long. You know, it really didn't seem like they were threatened by any Gonzaga players off the dribble. Uh, and Baylor's guards were the X factor on both ends of the floor. Uh, Davion Mitchell uh, and T, as well as uh, Jared Butler, they all played well. Uh, their bigs played physical despite their lack of size, and I just don't think they could have played any more of a complete game. You you hit on all the points, to be completely honest with you. Uh, from, the, from the jump, they dominated uh, wire to wire. They were aggressive. They were highly active. And they look stronger, they look faster, and they look t- tougher. Coming into the game, you know, Baylor and, and Gonzaga were two of the best offenses and defenses in the country. But Baylor clearly looked like the better team. Like I said, they were just more physical. You know, they were plus 11 on the offensive re- on the glass. They were plus 16 overall in rebounds. They forced 14 turnovers, and they made five more three-pointers. Uh, Baylor was 10 of 23 from three-point range, and Gonzaga was 5 of 17. Like I said, they completely – you know, on the entire game. And that was one of the more dominating displays I've seen in the national championship game in quite some time. And it's, I definitely didn't expect that. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and, you know, like you said, with Gonzaga only knocking down five threes, that was, uh, 
I think the lowest total of the tournament, you know, Jared Butler for Baylor, he single-handedly had four by himself. So, you know, you won't win too many ball games when you're that ice cold from three-point range. Uh, but like we said, definitely have to give Baylor a lot of credit. They were actually good all year long, and I actually remember they were supposed to play Gonzaga uh, earlier in the year back in December, but that game got canceled due to COVID. So, uh, like I said, I definitely – I was shocked by the final gap, but I definitely wasn't shocked that Baylor came out on top. Like I said, they were a great team all year, so you have to give credit where credit is due. Definitely. And, you know, like I said, they everybody was – that's the most – I've never seen, you know, a team be so active on the defensive end like that. They were getting deflections. They were, you know – Weak side defense was a, was amazing, and I that was a that was a great display, you know, of basketball by Baylor. No doubt, yeah, like you said, that that defensive effort was something to marvel. Um, and you know, like I mentioned, they played pressure defense and pretty much got up in all the Gonzaga's players' grills. Cause you know, no disrespect to their games, but a lot of their players, uh, they really succeed off set plays that are drawn up. Uh, and Baylor was going to force them to be shot creators and, you know, create shots off the dribble. And, you know, they kind of really – that wasn't really their comfort zone, and you could tell. And definitely. Like I said, you hit on all the points, you know, as soon as you started talking. And it's really uh, – well, one thing I did want to add, one nugget I want to add, uh, the championship game averaged 16.9 million viewers on CBS. That's the most watched basketball game, college or pro, since game six of the 2019 NBA Finals. So that goes to show a lot of people were tuned into that game. Man. Yeah, I know I definitely was. But I think there was only about, what, 8,000 fans that they allowed in the stands. So, but, you know, hopefully next year they'll be back in front of a full crowd. And one thing I do, I do want to, uh, you know, shout out the women's tournament as well. Uh, that was an excellent tournament as well. Uh, the championship game, the Final Four, uh, every game I was able to watch was a pleasure to watch. Those women really, they play basketball at a high level. So I definitely want to uh, give them some praise. Yeah, Hopefully, no I'm right. Well, we can get some. Oh, my bad. Go ahead. No, my bad. My Go bad. ahead. Uh, well, you know, I'm work right now. We're working on getting a couple of uh, guests who currently play basketball on, on the collegiate level. So we'll see how that goes going forward. But we definitely want to get some women on here. Yeah, man, I'm right with you. Uh, of course, especially. Being a Vols fan, I'm all for uh, women's college basketball. I love my Lady Vols. Uh, you know, they disappointed me in the tournament this year, but they'll be back next year. Uh, and definitely congratulations to Stanford uh, and Paige. I believe Paige Bukers from UConn. Man, she's legit. I could see her winning player of the year all four years. She already won it this year as a freshman. Definitely. She is a monster. Uh, she got the the whole package, the pull-up game, the three-point shot, can take it to the cup. She does it all. And I'm I definitely I'm – I'm ready to see her next year. Yeah, no doubt. You can definitely count me as a fan. Oh, yeah. Well, moving right along here. So, we got some news a couple days ago. I think it's some news that we've been expecting for some time, but I didn't – you know, I was surprised by the destination. So, the former Jets quarterback, Sam Darnold, has been traded to the Carolina Panthers uh, for a 20, 2021 sixth-round pick, a 2022 second-round pick, and a fourth-round pick. So, Quinn, what are your thoughts on the Sam Darnold trade to Carolina? 
Yeah, man, I'm right with you. I can definitely say I wasn't surprised by the fact that he was traded, but definitely more so the, the uh, destination. But, you know, first they traded him for uh, – they got in return a 2021 sixth-round pick, a 2022 second, as well as a 2022 fourth. Uh, but, you know, starting on the Jets side of things, you know, this shows that they're all in on drafting Zach Wilson. We've been hearing it over the past few weeks or so. And, you know, this was pretty much the writing on the wall. But, uh, you know, Sam Darnold, he struggled in his time in New York. A lot of it can be blamed on the front office as well as the coaching he's had. Uh, he's definitely had a lack of talent around him there. But, uh, you know, it's good that now he'll get a fresh start. He has CMC, you know, Christian McCaffrey, one of the best running backs in the league when healthy. Uh, he'll have DJ Moore and, of course, Robbie Anderson, who's also a former Jet. Uh, and then you have to think with Adam Gaze being his former coach that going to Joe Brady and seeing what he did with those guys down at LSU, uh, you have to think that, you know, Sam Darnold will be put in better positions come game time to succeed. Uh, but as I said, on the Jet side, uh, they're all in on Zach Wilson. And you know something interesting, bro? Now that they've traded Sam Darnold, the New York Jets don't have any first-round picks on their roster from the past 10 years. So I think – That's not a surprise at I all. I think that's just a true testament of how dysfunctional they are as a franchise. I'm glad Sam Darnold was able to get away. I know one of our closest friends is a Jets fan – and he didn't really like Sam Darnold, but I was trying to explain to him, and like many other people, if you actually watch the Jets, then you would know that he was not supported at all. You know, during his first three seasons, the Jets' offensive line, the running back group, and the receiver group were all graded bottom two in the entire NFL. And I think, you know, a thing that people forget to mention all the time is the fact that he's only 23. Mm -hmm. So he still has a lot of time to develop, has a lot of time to grow. He had a 13-25 record as a starter, uh, completed just under 60% of his passes uh, for about 213 yards a game, had 45 touchdowns and 39 interceptions. By no means are those gaudy statistics. Uh, some people may call it, you know, terrible statistics, but he never never had an 800-yard rusher or a receiver with over 850 yards receiving in a single season. Hasn't played with a single Pro Bowl lineman or a single Pro Bowl skill player, and it just goes to show the lack of talent that he had. That's the goes to show the lack of talent he had around him, and not to mention who his head coach was for a couple years, Adam Gase. Adam Gase is the same guy who had Ryan Tannehill for three years. During those three seasons, with Adam Gase, Ryan Tannehill, Tannehill, excuse me, had a grade of fifty nine point seven. Over the last two seasons without Adam Gase, Ryan Tannehill has a grade of ninety two point four. Man, <laughs> uh, and so, so you know that goes for stuff. That's a big upgrade. And Sam Darnold's uh, was fifty eight point eight. So I'm I'm amazed to see what it's going to be like, you know, in Carolina. And not to mention, you know, they have significant upgrades, you know, uh, in terms of weaponry. You got Christian McCaffrey, who's arguably the best running back in football. You got DJ Moore, who's a young stud, and you got Robbie Anderson, who's a burner. And then you have a stud at right tackle too, at Taylor Moton. So. That's definitely a step up from what he's had previously. Not to mention Matt Rule as a young coach and Joe Brady uh, as a passing game coordinator. So I'm definitely excited to see Sam Darnold. And one thing I did want to mention, the Jets were 0-10 when Sam Darnold didn't play. They averaged 13 points 
in only 156 passing yards a game. So that goes to show, you know, they weren't good with him, but they were borderline. They were trash without him. <laughs> and so, you know, if I, you know, I, and I really like the fact that a lot of Jets fans didn't appreciate, you know, the kind of guy that Sam Darnold is. He's a leader. He's talented. You know, he's physical. He's tough. He has a nice arm. And so, you know, I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do in Carolina. Yeah, no doubt, man. And, you know, like you said, from Carolina's side, you know, we have been hearing pretty much this offseason their names being thrown in just about really every quarterback sweepstakes, uh, which this is just the latest domino. We're seeing now there's a lot of quarterback shuffling going on this offseason, which me personally, I'm I'm all for it. Uh, But, you know, Ultimately, I don't think Carolina gave up too much, especially, uh, you know, they still have the number eight pick in this upcoming draft. So, you know, they could easily use that that draft pick and go out and get them another stud offensive lineman. And, you know, you're, pre- you're looking at a pretty solid offensive foundation around Sam Darnold down there in Carolina. Definitely. And like you said, you know, a left tackle, they got a right stud, right tackle, a left tackle, you know, whether it's Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater or even Alex Leatherwood a little later in the draft, they're in a prime position uh, to build something great in Carolina, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, no doubt about that. And especially a top 10 pick, you know, you can get a blue chip player if you use it correctly. So Carolina could definitely be the uh, have some greener pastures. Coming ahead. Definitely. I, I want to see him succeed so badly. Just to rub it in Jets fans' faces, I want to see him do it so badly. <laughs> the only reason I'm kind of with the Jets right now is because Robert Sala's my guy. So I'm, I want to give him a fair shake, and, I, you know, hopefully he'll do all right up there. You know, they definitely have some, you know, some. they have a lot of assets and draft capital. That is what I mean by assets. You know, they're probably going to draft Zach Wilson at number two. They got Quentin Williams. They drafted, you know, Makai Becton, who looks going to look like an all-pro, a future all-pro. So, you know, they have Denzel Mims from last year. They have Jamison Crowder on the offensive side. So, they have, you know, a few pieces. C.J. Mosley's coming back. So, you know, they have a few pieces in place, and I expect them to be, you know, I wouldn't say a contender, but I expect them to be, you know, at least decent within the next year or two because I think they have two – First rounds pick first round picks this year and two first round picks next year, along with a slew of other picks. And uh I believe they still got quite a bit of cap space too if they want to make some moves for some veteran players. So definitely. They so, definitely you know, got a lot to work things with. Are, things are looking up for Carolina and things are also going to be looking up for the Jets as well. Yeah, you can say that again. But moving on to our next topic here, we're still sticking around with the NFL here. So it's reported that the Atlanta Falcons are entertaining trades for the number four pick. Uh, Quentin, what are your thoughts on that, and what should they do with their pick? Yeah, man. So, you know, I think the Falcons, between the front office and their new head coach, Arthur Smith, uh, they're torn, actually, on whether or not they should draft a quarterback. Of course, you know, they've had Matt Ryan a decade-plus now. He had his MVP year a couple years ago under Kyle Shanahan. Uh, and, you know, in my opinion, even at 35 years old, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of guys that I take Matt Ryan over that are in the league. Uh, and, you know, even these past few years, you look at how bad they've been since their Super Bowl run. 
But as far as production goes, you know, Matt Ryan still has been just as good as anybody in the league when it comes to throwing the football. Um, so, you know, in my personal opinion, I don't think they should draft a quarterback. Uh, so for that specific reason, you know, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they moved backwards in this draft. Uh, but the thing is, with quarterbacks being guaranteed to go with the top three picks, I think it's highly unlikely that a team will move up to take a fourth quarterback in a row in the top four picks. I just don't see that happening. Uh, you know, if it did happen, I'd say maybe the Broncos at number nine. Um, you know, they're pretty much over Drew Locke at this point. They might want to get someone like Trey Lance and, you know, give him the reins and let him be the future of the franchise. Or Because uh, I don't – me personally, I don't think Mac Jones is worth the top ten pick. I don't, I don't get all the smoke screens that's going on with Mac Jones to the 49ers and all this stuff right now. Uh, I'm just not buying into that. But uh, I believe Atlanta, they could definitely afford to move down in this draft and gain some more picks. They need to definitely retool on the defensive side of the ball, uh, specifically secondary and uh, getting some more help on the, with their pass rush. And another team I think that could be a factor in possibly trading up is New England. You know, they could decide they want a quarterback like Trey Lance and let him grow a year behind Cam Newton up in New England. And then, you know, there you go. Bill Belichick has his franchise quarterback of the future. So, um, you know, if I were the Falcons and, I, you know, I were in there, the position they're in, I'd definitely trade that pick away and see what I can get for it. I have a couple thoughts on this. So if you feel like, you know, who's ever left, whether it be Justin Fields or Trey Lance at number four, if you think that that guy, if you're absolutely in love with that guy as a prospect and as a future quarterback, then I think you go draft him. Uh, but if you're not in love with either guy, then I think you trade back. Like you said, the, the entire roster could use some help from the offensive line to, you know, to the secondary, to, to the, the pass rushers. So, you know, there's a lot of those guys available. So I would definitely like to see them trade back, retool the roster. Uh, the only guy right – there's no guy in the draft that's, that's better than Matt Ryan is right now, including Trevor Lawrence. That's maybe – there will be the only guy that I you know, I might start over Matt Ryan just, you know, just to get throw him in the fire to see how he does. Uh, but Matt Ryan's only – he'll be 36 when the season begins. And the way quarterbacks are playing now, 36 is not an older age. He had a respectable season last year, completed 65% of his passes for over 4,500 yards. Uh, 26 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. So he's still more than serviceable. You know, I think, and they have a lot of offensive talent. You know, still have Julio Jones. They still have Calvin Ridley, who that's probably the best wide receiver duo in football. And so I think they should just, you know, trade back to one of those quarterback thirsty teams, you know, feast on those draft picks and try to retool this roster and, you know, make another run at it, especially with the NFC South, especially, you know, with New Orleans and their quarterback situation. Uh, and, you know, Tampa Bay is going to be Tampa Bay, of course. And Carolina, you know, we don't know what they are. They could be a lot better. Uh, that remains to be seen. So, you, you know, you have a chance, you know, to possibly make the playoffs. So I would definitely try to retool the roster and roll with Matt Ryan. No doubt, man. And, you know, I believe the people who are wanting the Falcons to get a quarterback, for some reason, you know, everybody these days wants to jump straight to, all right, we got to get this athletic, you know, unforeseen, uh, just super talented quarterback. But, I mean, if you look at Matt Ryan's division that he's 
currently in the NFC South. I mean, it's pretty much been run by pocket passers. Uh, you know, Drew Brees for years. Matt Ryan has had his share of NFC South titles. And, I mean, look at the current Super Bowl champion, Tom Brady. Uh, so, I don't see the need for them to go after a quarterback, especially – I mean, their passing, that's been the only good thing Atlanta's had going for them the past few years because they can't run the ball to save their lives. And then, like we've already talked about defense, and, you know, on top of that, they can't hold the lead for anything. So, um, you know, I definitely believe they need to trade back and, you know, just try to get as much draft capital as possible. And you mentioned those young, you know, athletic quarterbacks. If you think about what Arthur Smith has been able to do with Ryan Tannehill, it's Ryan Tannehill is a, is, a, is a good athlete in the quarterback position, but he's not the most athletic guy. But he does most of his damage from inside the pocket, and that's what Mike Ryan is known for, doing damage inside the pocket. So if they could protect him, I mean, you got Julio and you got Calvin Ridley, so, you know, why not? You know, and, of course, they need to try to get, you know, a young running back. Todd Gurley, um, he's a free agent, of course, but – Behind him was a bunch of unproven players. So I would expect him to definitely draft a running back and, you know, and try to go forward with Matt Ryan. No doubt, man. Um, and, you know, they got new coach Arthur Smith. So I'm, I expect they'll have some fireworks once again on the offensive side of the ball this year. Definitely. And, I, you know, I, I've even heard some Kyle Pitts rumblings, but I just don't – I don't feel like that's – that would be a great pick. You know, that would be a nice pick, you know, offensively. But you got other more prominent holes on the roster other than tight end because they already have Hayden Hurst, who's a pretty good young tight right. end. Yeah, I just think they have a lot more pressing needs on the defensive side of the ball. They don't need to be using that much draft capital on a, a position that they already – is pretty much kind of a strength or, I, I guess, really not a weakness. Definitely. But – I think that division, you know, after Tampa Bay, of course, that division is going to be interesting to see if one of those teams can secure a playoff spot, you know, a wild, probably a wild card berth. And so I'm excited for, you know, to see what the Falcons are going to do with their number four pick. I'm excited for the draft. You know, the draft doesn't start until a trade is made draft night. And routinely we've seen dra trades made to shake up the draft. So I'm fully expecting another trade, another trade or two before the draft or draft night. Yeah, unfortunately, my team, I guess we getting all our fun now before the draft even starts. So, I guess at this point, I'm just trying to figure out who we which quarterback we want. If I'm the if if I'm the 49ers, I think Mac Jones, it just as a passer is better than Justin Fields, but I feel like Justin Fields will fit better with what, you know, the West Coast offense uh is about. And, and you know, Mac Jones is, you know, he's more of a Kirk Cousins type. Uh, but I would much rather, you know, if I'm the 49ers with what the roster looks like, I would much rather go with Justin Fields, even though I personally think Matt Jones is the better passer, I would say. Man, look here. With Jimmy G currently at quarterback, and for us to trade away three first-round picks, we better not be drafting no Matt Jones. If, if if the reports is true and it's Kyle Shanahan's guy, then you you're going to have to expect them to open but arms. But you know what? I will say, I just want to preface, I won't be shocked. Because uh, even before the uh, the Panthers got Darnold, it came out once the trade was made that uh, San Francisco and uh, my mind's blank on the second team. But we were looking real hard at trying to get Sam Darnold before that trade. 
I think a lot. I think a, f- a few teams were including the Washington football team as That's well. That's right. So. That was the second team, Washington. Yep. But moving along here, uh, our next topic, we're gonna stick with the NFL here. I saw a post on Bleacher Report, uh, their Gridiron Football page, that Najee Harris said that Saquon Barkley, when healthy, is the best running back in football. So me and Quentin thought, you know, when healthy, is he a top five running back? So Quentin, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Right, which I think I actually saw. I guess it came up. Najee Harris said it in an interview a couple of days ago that when Saquon was healthy, he's the best. But uh, which I guess kind of what he says holds weight to some people, but he's wrong. He doesn't know any better. Uh, I mean, in my opinion, Saquon's a great talent. Uh, we know what he brings to the table. You know, he's a threat running the ball and catching. Uh, probably one of the most uh, physically, I guess, uh, imposing running backs we've ever seen, probably outside of guys like Derrick Henry. But uh, I think just for me personally, he's not quite in the top five, especially, you know, I do have to hold against him the fact that, you know, he missed all the last year pretty much with the injury. Uh, but just for my taste, you know, my my personal best, I got to go with Derrick Henry. I just think, you know, he's unmatched what he can offer on the football field. Uh, and I think we've seen that the past few years, how he's elevated the Titans as a team. Um, you know, he pretty much made an argument to be MVP last year. Um, and then, you know, second, I got to go Christian McCaffrey. You know, we probably forgot what he, how nice he is. Uh, he, he also – unfortunately suffered an injury last year but you know he's one of the more lethal weapons in the game he's a dual threat uh you know he's labeled as a running back but he's really an offensive weapon you know he pretty much can line them up all over the field and then you know this one this one was tough for me I had to split hairs but um I think because I'm a personal fan of him I got Alvin Kamara third Yes, you know, what he's brought to the table down in New Orleans. Uh, you know, every year he's been in the league so far, he's only gotten better. And, you know, it's just like when he's out there, he's just moving at his own pace. You know, it's just so smooth and effortless. And I love that part about his game. Uh, but this guy, the next guy, definitely don't get me wrong. I respect his game too. Uh, but Dalvin Cook. You know, he pretty much has become the focal point of the offense up in Minnesota, uh, especially this past year, you know, carrying them on his back, uh, you know, even though it didn't result in that many wins. Uh, And I think this past year, too, he even improved a little bit more as a pass catcher. So, you know, adding that element to his game just makes him even more lethal. And then, you know, I think fifth, I got to go with Nick Chubb, which this one was a tough one for me, too. Because you know who I want to actually put number five? Who is that? Jonathan Taylor from the Colts. Okay, okay. He was a monster okay. last year, especially second half of the year. You know, once once he fully gets that job next year in Indianapolis in the full offseason under his belt, you know, I think he could be, you know, perennially one of the best running backs in the game. But, you know, like I said, For my me- fifth on, my yeah. fifth choice was Nick Chubb. Uh, for the Cleveland Browns, he's just, you know, to me, I felt like he's always slept on. But, you know, with the Cleveland Browns and their team success now, 
a lot more people are starting to respect Nick Chubb and realize just how great of a talent he is. Uh, you know, he has great vision. Uh, he has a mean, stiff arm. And, you know, he he's really just the complete package. You know, he really – pass catching really isn't a strength of his. But, you know, everything else he brings to the table outweighs that. For me, I didn't even have Saquon in the top seven. Well, I had him, I had him at seven is where, is where I had him. But now you bring up, you know, Jonathan Williams – Jonathan Taylor, excuse oh. me. Um, I may I may even put him at eight to be honest with you. For me, when healthy, I think I have Christian McCaffrey at one because of what he's able to do in not only the run game, uh, but the receiving game as well. Uh, one of the few running backs in league history to have a thousand yards rushing and a thousand yards receiving in the same season. Uh, last year he only played in three games, but he still was able to uh to amass six touchdowns in those three games. So he still was productive in the time, even with dealing with injuries. Now, you wouldn't have been wrong with putting Derrick Henry at number one. I actually have him at number two. I think he's by by far, he's clear and far, uh, the best runner in between the tackles in football. And he's one, you know, in terms of 40 time, he wasn't as fast, but he never gets caught from behind. So, it, it goes to show he's incredibly fast. That man carries the offense, you know, on his own. And it's, it's a joy to see. It's a joy to watch because I love watching running backs run the ball. And he's just been a monster, especially the last two seasons. You know, if you think about it, if you want to take a look at his numbers over the last three seasons, he has 4,600 yards and 45 touchdowns, and he's averaging over five yards a carry. And that's for a man who routinely pounds the rock. You know what the Titans are going to do. You know who they're going to get the ball to, and you just can't stop because he's just that good. Now, for three and four, uh, we had basically the same guys, just got a different order. I went with Dalvin Cook at three uh, because of what he can do in between the tackles. Of course, he's not. As good as a receiver as Alvin Kamara, but I think, you know, he makes up for it with, you know, his ability to run in between the tackles. And I have Alvin Kamara at four, like I said. The, I would say the second best dual threat back in the game behind Christian McCaffrey. You know, I would like to see him get get a, get some more carries just to see, you know, could he crack a 1,000 yards? He's yet to be able to do that. But he also has shared the load uh, with another running back with Mark Ingram and Latavius Murray uh, thus far in his career. And he's still been a monster, you know, out of the backfield catching passes as well. So, you know, that dual threat, that dual threat ability and and his durability is also, you know, what gives me gives him the edge over Saquon in my opinion. And at five, I also had Nick Chubb. Uh, Nick Chubb, Chubb has just been consistent in his first three years in the league. Has over 3,500 yards, uh, 28 touchdowns, averaging over five yards to carry. And Nick Chubb is a, a big guy. He's about 230. And I think, you know, in terms of the pass catching thing, I think, you know, I don't believe Cleveland really asked him to do as much in the passing game. I believe he's a better receiver than, you know, the numbers would suggest. Uh, but, you know, they really don't need him to catch passes out of the backfield because they have Kareem Hunt for that. But Nick Chubb is, is arguably, I think, in my opinion, I think he's the second best uh, pure runner in football. But for me, like, in terms of Saquon, it's just I don't like his running style. He's, of the guys I named, he's the second heaviest at 235 pounds. But he's the worst runner in between the tackles. And not only is he the worst runner in between the tackles, he doesn't really establish the run. He's the worst pass blocker. He doesn't really run downhill. And, you know, for a guy that big and that kind of physicality, that kind of size, he doesn't run behind his pass. And I don't really like that. You know, over his career, he's had 11 100-yard games. But it also, he's had 10 games with under with 50 yards or less. So, you know, with Saquon, you know, you never know what you're going to get. One day you may get 160 yards. Then the next five games, he might not crack 50 yards. And for running backs, for me, 
you know, I, I prefer consistency over the one big game and then the four, you know, bad games to follow it. And, and I just don't like the way he runs. I don't like the consistency that he plays with, to be honest with you. No, I agree with you. He definitely, you know, for me to put him in the top five of anything, he's going to have to prove more on the field. You know, unfortunately last year, you know, he couldn't help being injured. But, uh, you know, you pointed out all the weaknesses in this game pretty much. And, you know, with all these guys, you know, you can pretty much count on them week in and week out to get you production. And even another guy we didn't mention, Aaron Jones, he's been a monster the past few years. And he's even, you know, I'll take him over Saquon. So, you know, that probably will put Saquon at about eight or nine for me, to be honest. Yeah, and I had I actually had Aaron Jones at six for me. Uh, he's played in forty two games in the last three years. He has thirty three touchdowns, and he's uh, I think he's a better rusher between the tackle, despite being much smaller in terms of weight. I think Aaron Jones is about two hundred and five pounds. Like I said, Saquon is two thirty five, uh, and he offers you know about the same production in terms of receiving yards. So you know I, I would go with Aaron Jones over him too. And that, like I said, you mentioned Jonathan Taylor. He had a phenomenal rookie year. And he's only going to get better. And the Colts have arguably the best offensive line in football. And so I think he's definitely going to continue to get better. He's going to ball out. I, I want, I'm, I hope, I'm glad to see Saquon. You know, he's coming back. Hopefully he'll ret- regain his form. But I just don't like his play style. No, no offense to him. I just don't like his play style. Yeah. And, I mean, hey, we not everybody's going to be our cup of tea. Because, I mean, like you said, even with, you know, look at Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara, you know, pretty much talent-wise, they're about on par with each other, but it's just about what perf- what you prefer in players and what you like to watch as a fan. So now moving on to our last topic of the day. On Friday night, Paul Pierce was on Instagram Live, had some exotic dancers, what looked like some marijuana and some, some liquor, which is really not a problem. But ESPN didn't really like it, and they decided to part ways with him on Monday. So, Quinn, what are your thoughts on the Paul Pierce situation? Yeah, man. So, I mean, that video, for one, it caught me off guard. I was shocked. But, you know, Paul Pierce, he's a grown man. You know, he's way over legal drinking age. He lives in California where marijuana is legal to smoke. But, you know, working for a corporation such as ESPN, uh, you know, of course, where he was on NBA Countdown and a number of other segments and shows. Uh, and they're owned by Disney. They have an image to uphold and upkeep, supposedly, uh, which, you know, that's a whole nother can of worms to open. But, uh, you know, he just he can't post stuff like that, you know, given his social status and his reputation and the company he's representing. So I just think all around it was a stupid decision. I didn't have any problem with what he was doing because, like you said, he's a grown man. But you know, it's just something that you don't, and especially with you know him, him being who he is and who he works for, it's just not something that you're supposed to do, you know, on for the world to see. And I think it only had about 350 viewers. So apparently, somebody saw it and got the word out because I saw it on social media. Uh, the following morning, Saturday morning. So I knew something was going to come of it, and that's exactly what happened. You know, you just got to know. Like I said, you got to understand who you work for. ESPN is owned by Disney, as you mentioned. So, And Disney is a family-friendly friendly platform. Uh, So Paul Pierce just made an honest mistake. But it didn't really look like he really cared as much. Uh, Paul Pierce has made plenty of money in the NBA. 
Uh, so you know he'll probably be doing end up doing something else next, and I don't feel like he really cares to be honest with you. Like I said, I didn't think it's really big of a deal. It's just you know you got to understand who you work for, and, you know their values and things of that nature. Right, man, I agree with you, and you know I think when it originally came out, it was leaked was by TMZ or something like that. I was like, oh, somebody done recorded Paul Pierce and leaked it. But then I was like, no, nah, he went on IG Live on, like, his page page. Like, this is him. <laughs> and I think I think even when he came back and did the apology video, he was gone in that video. Yeah, Paul Pierce just don't care. But if he don't care, then I don't care either. <laughs> nope. Like I said, he a grown man. He can do whatever he want to do. <laughs> Definitely. But on that note, we're going to end it here. I uh, just want to thank y'all for continuing to support us. Uh, listen, spread the word, share, comment, subscribe. Uh, you know, ask us any questions you want to ask. You know, interact with us on social media. You know, we're always on there, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And this is episode 46 of the First and Foremost Sports Podcast. I'm Jimmy Covington. And I'm the one and only Quentin Douglas. Appreciate y'all. We out of here. All right. That's a wrap.